Hi, and welcome to an extra episode of Black Woman's Hour. As you can see, my trusty sidekick Aisha is not uh, here today. She's not swimming in the sea, she's actually working, um, which should not be discouraged. So, hi Aisha. She might actually pop on and join us at some point. Um, so, I have my lovely guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Kamiji Evan Cole, and um, I'm really excited to be here today. <laughs> Um, as everyone saw, Black Women's Hour were promoting um, the documentary that was on Thursday night on BBC One called Subnormal. Um, so we thought we'd just have a quick chat with somebody who got involved in it. Um, there was a lot of emotion around it. We did a long thread on Twitter about it and it was seen something like quarter of a million times and people were sharing information and sharing their experiences. It was really mainly about the 70s and 80s, wasn't it? And I'm looking at your youthful face. Um, so <laughs> no, you certainly weren't around then. So could you just tell us how you became involved in the documentary? Absolutely. Well, I'm an educator at heart, and that's the profession in which I trained. Um, and I have since moved on from that um, to more of a coaching kind of background. However, I was an educator at the time when an advert went out on Instagram, and it was to... Um, Basically, Rogan Productions wanted to connect with anyone who had connections with schools um, because they needed young people to voice their opinions about what it had been like to be within the British education system as a black student. And so I had that connection and I decided to reach out to them and thus the journey began. Yeah. Um, would you say, so when did you start in, um, like, as an educator? What year did you start? So um, in 2012, I um, graduated from university and decided I wanted to do a PGCE. So I had always worked in informal education, mainly within the arts, since as young as I could, can remember, since like 15, I would volunteer at ballet schools and whatnot. So teaching was always in it, in my blood. Um, I have a wide family of teachers and um, basically, I then did my PGCE in 2013 and started the process of like my journey as an educator, thinking along the lines of organising and systems. So I've always been interested in systems. Um, my first ever job whilst doing a PGCE, I was helping set up a department. And so, yeah, this was really close to my heart, looking at the education system from more than just a um teaching point of view but more of a systemic point of view yeah um so with the rogan production subnormal i think everybody watching it might must have seen it by now and if you haven't seen it please it's on iplayer for a year so you've got no excuse go and watch <laughs> it i think the thing that i love about rogan productions and the stuff that they're making this in the black power documentary is you're like oh my god yes i recognize that i heard about that that mm. happened to people that i know they were around these areas at the time, but then at the end you're thinking, what's changed? Do you know what mm. I mean? Does it feel to you, like I, as I read uh, Watch the End of Subnormal and I was listening to Professor Gus John speak about um, these stereotypes and stuff like that and saying it's almost, you know, it's more covert now in certain ways, but those stereotypes that I heard about black girls getting in trouble, being perceived as angry and trouble, you know, troublemakers, Caribbean people having an attitude problem, us having no culture, us having no discipline. 
I mean, from your point of view, many years later, how much has changed? Yeah, I have to say, when first entering the education system, obviously it wasn't in the 70s, or, um, but it was at a time where I just didn't really hear conversations like this happening. I almost feel like conversations are cyclical. And right now, you know, it's really prevalent to talk about um, systemic um, issues. And so from when I started, even from when, when I started education to now, I can see that there, <laughs> there really hasn't been much change as such. You know, there's more conversation, but we really are um just touching the tip of the iceberg and as we know there are these um diagrams that go around in order to help communicate what systemic racism is kind of like you know and when when i would talk to colleagues within the education system even students parents a lot are naive um are unaware of that lower part of that iceberg that that exists underneath the water the microaggressions the death and um, the uh, death by a thousand cuts you know and so we have young people those receiving education and older people those um giving education still subject to what can feel like death by a thousand cuts on a daily basis you know these um unconscious biases definitely live within the education system still and it's it's amazing to have such a powerful um production yeah. communicate that so effectively for an audience that really needs to understand what's still going on yeah i mean um what age groups did you teach because this was very much about sort of you know well it was about primary and secondary school kids at the time i mean we've recently had um somebody called liz who calls herself the black nursery manager and she spoke about the adult adultification of black children and how early it starts, um, you know, with such things like black children falling over and not getting as much care, like five-year-old black girls seen as not needing help so much. Um, one thing that really struck me in the documentary was one of the ladies talking about being sent to a special school and then being told to help wash all the other kids, you know, just being given duties, like to help them out with their lunches and stuff that are not something that a child should be doing anyway particularly if you think the child has special needs. And then we've spoken on the other end to Dr. Adam Elliott Cooper, Dr. Sean Sobers, Dr. Louise Quarteng about um, uni and how um, by the time black people get to further educate, higher education, sorry, that there's still these issues. They're still as, you know, um, excellent, sorry, it's my phone, sorry, they're still seen as a sort of difficult and they talk about how being a black face in that in those kind of environments how even if they're not teaching these black people these courses they will pop their head around the office just to see i mean is there any point in a black pupil's life where we're safe i love that you use that word safe within your question because that's really a word that everyone can identify with when it comes to trying to communicate just how crucial change is, especially for the sake of this generation who are vulnerable, who are in our hands, you know, as educators, as leaders, as role models, um, I'm going to ask you a question and say, with where we're at in society, no. 
Mm. And it is as simple as that. I think that education does amazing things. There are many layers to education. And it's undoubtedly, when you send your child to school, know that they're going to come away having some value added to them. But when we look deeper and we look at the system and when we look at how it perpetuates this problem of, um, yeah, just cultivating unconscious biases, because these days, you know, there are rules in place in every single school. If racism is over, then it should be dealt with and it would be very surprising if it wasn't. But when it comes to are our children safe or are black children safe in the current education system, I would say not entirely. And the feeling of unsafeness is something that I've witnessed and heard firsthand. And then witnessing the processes that are there for, thereafter in place to deal with that. I don't think we have processes in place to deal with that when it comes to microaggressions and stuff like that. So I think we've got a lot of work to do on our hands, especially because language that is now becoming more and more commonly used um, amongst not just black people, but allies as well. Allyship is a big thing right now. I think there is hope. And I think in order to turn that hope into actual results, we need to push and subnormal does that. It gives everyone a level footing, a reference point that isn't ambiguous, but that is concrete and that allows for context to be our starting point. So, yeah, I think I think that I think we've got a long way to go before we can really feel like uh, black children can feel safe and yeah. um, emotionally in schools. Because you mentioned overt racism there. I mean, I don't I, Well, I've got a five year old that's just in school and then I've got a much bigger one now who's in uni. But so I haven't really got anything in between. And obviously still at mm. primary school, I'm still very, very involved in all of that stuff. I've had mm. problems in the years with the older kids. Um, but one thing that I'm seeing, which I found, you know, we're talking about safety and we're talking about overt racism, about racism being dealt with, but the institutionalized racism is what gets me. Like I've seen rules, obviously there's the hair, certain hairstyles that your children are not allowed to have because that's considered a gang hairstyle and stuff like, you know, ridiculous things mm -hmm. like that. Also, the amount of times I've seen it posted online that these are the school rules and these are the punishments. And you'll see kissing teeth up there with swearing, which is literally a cultural thing. And I will argue to the day I die, kissing mm -hmm. your teeth is tutting. It's nothing mm -hmm. more than tutting. So, I mean, how do you, what do you think we should do with, when it comes mm. to things like that? What do you think the answer is? Do you think it's having more black faces within the system? You know, cause I, I mean, yeah. I don't want to name any names but there's a particular school where the headmistress and there's another teacher who's constantly with Lawrence Fox. I mean, and their black face, like what, what is it we actually need to do? Because sort of extending the question a little bit in subnormal, mm. what I noticed about it was we saved ourselves. We started speaking amongst ourselves and saying, hold on a second, how come these, you know, it, I, I forget names now, so I have to add them in later, but there was the guy who was the, the youth worker who then became the teacher and he was in a youth club going, why are all these kids in, you know, being uh, labelled subnormal when I can see that they're actually not? What is going on here? And, he, you know, I love the whole scene. It would be funny if that's how uh, the small acts, you know, Lovers Rock had ended with them all going, stop the music. Let's talk about the scene. Um, yeah, so they had that. 
conversation where they were like, hold on a second. And, you know, going door to door and printing mm. books. Is that something that we need to do now as a, as a community? I love the two two layers of your question as well and I I think one thing that you first kind of indicated was you know is it up to us to sort of take up space and and to represent to to be a to to be those more those black faces those black presences and those black people within the system and I think the answer is it's kind of yes to both I would say saving ourselves is always the way because actually why are we here on this earth we're here to create solutions and we don't always have to wait for someone to give us permission to do so but secondly if you're already in those spaces where you have influence start to really think about your position and what what your journey is going to look like you know it's interesting as a black person (laughs) because of the extra layer um (laughs) of like challenge that's there in terms of you know you've got that um You've got all these unconscious biases working against you and, you know, walking your career isn't just, you know, where do I want to go from point A to point B? How do I want to promote? What do I want to do for the kids? No, it's this other element of, you know, how do I make more space for um, for those who will come after me? It's how do I, as well as do my job well and excellently, how do I also combat these these you know unconscious biases and and this systemic racism for the children that are currently in this space and I would say it's take up space so be present be fully present be excellent at what you do of course but also um be strategic about being unapologetic um in talking about these things have these difficult conversations at the right moments um, to make every day as a battle is too emotionally exhausting. However, <clears throat> just like we saw in um, Subnormal, if we don't fight, if we don't start to um, have these conversations and talk about these things, if we just sail through our careers being quiet, then there won't be change for the next generation. So, yeah, I think it's staying present staying strategic and not making it easy for people to exclude you from change upcoming change so be strategic pick your battles and it's so sad that you have to censor your movement like that but then at the same time you can really gain some key opportunities through maintaining some (sighs) relationships with those who can create change that are you know uh, that are strong I feel so strange saying that because I know that everything inside me wants to say, just stop, just stop everything. I mean, I remember as a teacher at times, I just wanted to say, stop what you're doing. I wanted to go to the classroom and say, this is wrong. But actually it was those relationships that I built with people that allowed me to have meetings that said, look, this is a time at which you have responded to like the George Floyd, um, uh, uh, case and you've responded to the the numerous um things that have happened during lockdown the protests and whatnot and you've said look what can we do to create allyship within our school this is the perfect opportunity this is handed to you on a silver platter so this was a really great um example of one of those times where i had managed my relationships with people and what which battles i picked and then this was the one that i kind of said was the big one look you've said that you want this 
for your school. You've said that you want this for your school. You've contacted me. I also run a business which um, advocates well-being within schools. And so a lot of my previous relationships with head teachers, you know, they had been picked up again during lockdown. They'd contacted me saying, can you do something to do with equality? And so this was a great opportunity to respond to them and say, this is what you can do. You can get everyone to um, you can get the word out and say, look, does anyone want their voice to be heard? Yeah. That's a good uh, sort of sort of points that you're making in terms of how you guys, because I know we sometimes can put a lot of pressure on our people who have got, you know, when they're in a certain place. I know that. I know like years ago I was a prison officer. I mean, I know that people talk about black policemen as well. And, mm. you know, it's a fine balance sometimes of what you're going to do and stuff. So what is the thing that as black parents, it's easy for us to see a black face in there and just come over to you lot and go, duh, 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 duh. what can we as black parents do to support black educators? Because we've got to remember that they're going through some stuff as well in that system, you know? What can we do for you guys? Because watching that documentary, I just wanted to kiss, like I was literally tweeting out all the black lecturers that we've had on this show. Like, thank you, thank you, you guys are really protecting our kids. What can we do for you guys, basically? Um, firstly, that really touches me that you'd ask that question. I've never been asked that question before. Um, I think everyone's just, you know, showing up in their daily lives. So, you know, it's really great for you to stop and pause and recognize teachers and what they're doing, teachers. Um, for the black community and just for equality and you know to advocate allyship and whatnot but everyone's walking their own journeys you know if you're black and you're turning up in your environment that's also amazing but yeah I, I would say I would say be aware I used to go home feeling like the weight of the world was on my shoulders when it came to knowing what I know internally and not necessarily feeling like one I have the time yeah. Two, I had the words and three, I had the platform or the connection with the parents um, to communicate what was happening in school environments. Mm. Um, the other element of it was that actually there was a sense of it being normalised. And so even me and all of my knowing that I wanted to do things different and I, differently and I wanted to see things happen differently, I think schools, one thing that's different about schools to um, other industries, education to other industries, is that it's very like, it's like a bubble. And so where you'd have HR and other, other, you know, industries and whatnot, you don't necessarily have that in schools and the powers that be are the powers that be and that's it. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say make yourselves aware, do your homework with regards to um what your school um says on in this conversation about race you know why not have a conversation and a, a very straight conversation organize it with the powers that be in your school and if you're part of an academy's trust go higher a lot of schools these days are parts of academy's trust you have so many different school models find out what your your what your child's school model is and who really does make the decisions about curriculums and whatnot, you yeah. know. And with all this time that we've had, your inquiry should be very well, it should be welcomed, really. It won't be, but you have a foot in the door to say, we've had enough time now, you know. 
We've had enough time since the uproar. What are we now doing about it? Where are the results? What is your plan? Because right now, everyone should have a plan. Definitely. Like I said, I've got like a five-year-old. So she just started school last September. You know, Congrats. Amongst <laughs> all the COVIDs and everything. But the first thing I asked for the schools, what's your exclusion policy? Who yeah. is this who's most affected by this kind of thing? So I asked about how yeah. important culture was, all those kinds of things. So that I already had that mm -hmm. kind of conversation. So, you know, there are teachers of colour. She hasn't had a black teacher, but she has teachers of colour. And so mm -hmm. I don't really want to, you know, put it all on them. Um, mm -hmm. Just as a final question, because uh, this is just like an extra supplement show um, following mm -hmm. the documentary. Um, in the show, they concentrated a lot on Caribbean children. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously now, like we have kids like my son who are half African, half Caribbean, and you have like fully African children. Um, is the stereotype the same for African children? Because there was the difference between the South Asian kids who were recognised mm. as speaking another language, whereas West Indian, West Indians, uh, I don't know, Caribbean, West Indian, I don't know, people interchange between the two. Whatever, I don't want any notes on that, okay? We'll go with West Indian, that's what we were talking about in the show. Um, because we're perceived to be speaking English, there's certain parts of our language that are just different. We explain things differently. The common example that was given was like tap and pipe. You know, when I'm out in Caribbean, I will talk about the pipe. When I'm here, you know, you flip between the two. Um, so are African children recognized as having another language? And, and therefore, are they treated more like South Asian kids or is it simply the color of the skin from what you observed in your time teaching? It's a really good question. Um, I think the disparity between what we saw in the documentary and now, it, one of the disparities is that basically, generally, depending on where you are geographically, depending on where your school is, um, every black child will be different. But generally, what you have is a mix between black children who are second generation immigrants or third generation immigrants. And, you know, a lot of the time they will have the accent, the local accent anyway. Yeah. And so there's something different there. And then, you know, when you do have children who have, you know, their native language as their first language or a, a, a different accent, um, I think it just varies. And I think, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I can answer that question as a whole. I do like questions that I can't answer straight away because it gives me a thinking point and something to ruminate over and, and consider. So very, very good question, but I'm, I'm going to okay. say I'm not sure. I don't know if you know the, the figures then, because I, I could go, I can look it up afterwards, actually. I should have looked it up. Mm -hmm. But are the figures for exclusions for Black mm -hmm. African children as uh, similar to or as high as the ones for Caribbean children? Do you know that? Because Again, another question. Yeah, no, again, another question that I definitely have to look into because I don't know the exact statistics and the disparity between the two, but it will be interesting to find out. One thing I do know is that something I've experienced, why it's my own personal experience going from school to school, from inner city to like the way on the outskirts and then into the more rural areas of England, into the Midlands up north. Um, when it comes to ignorance, um, and when it comes to attitudes towards black children, and when we're talking about um, 
yeah, non-black teachers um, and attitudes towards um, black children. I can't generalise, but my experience has been that where I see times where children are discriminated against, black children are discriminated against, there's no difference between, you know, discriminating against a black African child and a black Caribbean child. What I've seen is that, you know, a lot of the time put under the same umbrella and that the unfairness I see is very similar. So yeah, a lot of work to be done. A lot of work to be done.